Welcome to the WFNY Cornercast, a podcast that takes an in-depth look at the Cleveland Guardians baseball team and farm system. Presented to you by the WaitingForNextYear.com network of podcasts. Here are Gerbs, Mitch, and Ethan. Hello and welcome to the WFNY Cornercast Art of the Evergreen Podcast Network and Waiting for Next Year Community. I am your host, Joe Gerbs Gerberry. And finally, uh, joining me on the microphone, uh, Farmer Ethan. Uh, it has been entirely too long. My friend, you are a married man now. Uh because that was the big reason why we didn't record for a while, and then the schedules got in the way. But uh, how's married life treating you? So far, so good. We're almost uh, two months in, and she hasn't divorced me yet. So fantastic! You know, I'd call that a success. Just gotta keep giving her reasons not to. You know, I I can't make any promises. I yeah no I I absolutely get that hundred percent. So. Uh, what, so I haven't, uh, we, we obviously, we still chat on the Discord. We just haven't gotten on the microphone to talk about it. But um, uh, did you see the fight on Saturday? Uh, and not the Nate Diaz, uh, Jake Paul one. You know, it was nice to see that somebody on this Guardians team still has some fight left in them. No, I have not been waiting to make that joke. I am as distressed as the rest of you but i've reached the point where the wins and losses don't matter and i'm focused on 2024 for this ball club but it was entertaining i've enjoyed the memes one of our own wfny alumni andrew and i have discussed how it would have been so much sweeter had they managed to take that series against the white Sox. but something that has plagued this team all season which is not being able to beat the teams you're supposed to beat took a little bit of the edge off of what should have been something that sparked any sort of life in this team outside of the pitching. Yeah. It was one thing, like it was nice to be able to get the win that day, you know, but uh, yeah, to lose that series is just, it. it's rough. And now you've lost the season series against a team that sold away half its, half its roster, which, you know, Teams that lose to Cleveland could be saying the same thing, but uh, who's to say? But anyway, uh, yeah, uh, we're 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 back at it. I don't know how many more of these we'll do before the year is over. Um, I'd love to say that we do it every week, uh, but we'll, we certainly will try and try to get Mitch on and, and see what we'll what we're doing here. But um, if you are like us and you enjoyed the Jose Ramirez fight, uh, make sure you go over to breakingtea.com backslash WFNY. Check out the Cleveland collection of shirts. Uh, Breaking Tea just made a couple of new ones. There's one that has uh, the the Gold's Gym logo, but it says Jose's Gym in uh, Guardians colors, as well as one that has some boxing gloves on it that say uh, uh, Jose Ramirez on there. So go over and grab those shirts. Um, I am wearing, I'm fine. Again, I'm doing it. I think this is the thing that happened last time. I'm wearing my The Land shirt. Uh, I actually, you know, finally decided to wear one of the shirts that we sell and uh, while I'm recording. So that's nice for me. Nice for you guys. Nobody's able to see it except Ethan and my wife. But, you know. We're enjoying it. Right. It sure, sure are. 
uh, but yeah, that's that's what we got. So if you like uh, my shirt, if somehow you've seen it today or uh, you see those shirts will be posted, uh, we I, I posted on the Twitter uh, the the Jose fight shirts. So go ahead and check those out again. breakingtea.com backslash WFNY. So Ethan and I were talking about it because we haven't been on in so long. It's it's hard to do news and notes because there's been so much news since we recorded last and so many things that are noteworthy and not noteworthy. Um, there's new faces. There's, you know, uh, the team picked up Ramon Laureano off of waivers this week. Um, that's the probably the newest one um, and the, the most uh, prevalent um, – they traded cash for Cole Calhoun for reasons. Um, Aaron Zavale was dealt, which was a big one. Derry Brothers covered that pretty much on their podcast really well. And uh, Josh Bell was traded for uh, a uh, Gene Segura, who was immediately released, and a pretty nice prospect with Khalil Watson. Um, we're not going to get into those guys tonight for a pretty much. We might touch on one of them. But, um, yeah, check out our pages. Check out uh, WFNY.com or WaitingForNextYear.com, and uh, we will get those. Uh, we have some write-ups for those. Ethan, you did the Manzardo one, right? I did. I did the write-up for the Manzardo trade when it happened, and my recently published uh, updated midseason top 30 prospects list uh, slotted him in at Cleveland's fourth best prospect. He has since moved up to third with the graduation of Gavin Williams in his last start. Nice. We get a little hat for Gavin. Well, that he throws it up in the air. He graduated. I mean, he's he's got to get something because he can't get a win. Right. I was looking at that. I was looking at his game blog. I'm like, ah, oh yeah, no, never mind. Anyway, so speaking of things that uh, you wish you'd seen more of, obviously, we uh, we want to see the team win. Um, there have been some moves that they have made that seem to. Uh, remove the idea of that happening for the for the roster, but um, you know this this was kind of a lost season for the team a little bit, and it it makes sense to do those moves that they did. Um, so with that being said, we want to go over what the goals should be for the rest of the year for this Guardian squad, as you guys are prepping for. Undoubtedly, if you're prepping for your fancy football drafts, there is still baseball going on. And so, you know, uh, some of the goals that we have, uh, Ethan, I think we agreed getting a, a postseason berth, it is still a goal because as of right now, the team is only four and a half back. Uh, they are playing currently still. Um, Bo Naylor pinch hit for uh, Gabe Arias and got a single. So he's he's on, on first right now in the bottom of the eighth. But um, they have a chance to be uh, only three and a half back uh, come morning. Uh, likely will everybody will stay the same and they'll be four and a half back. Um, the division is the way to go at this point. Obviously, the, the wild cards are out of out of the uh, uh, realm of possibility. But postseason berth still is a goal for this team. I might do. You, do you agree? I do, and not because I think that Cleveland has played like they deserve a postseason berth. It's a combination of 
they have what I think is enough talent laying around that should be getting opportunities in this situation with dealing Aaron Savale and, and the, the cavalcade of injuries that have happened recently to this ball club, Tyler Freeman, Josh Naylor, um, the pitching, I don't even have to mention it because that list is 37 names long, but the twins have suffered painfully from the exact same disease that Cleveland has suffered from this season, which is they can't beat the teams they're supposed to beat. It's plagued both of them. They are both mediocre uh, by the definition. Neither team can score runs. Both teams have really good pitching. It's been brutal to watch this AL Central all season, but for those very reasons, it only takes one four or five game win streak to completely flip the tables in, in a what is still somehow a tightly contested race here in the early parts of August. Yeah. Um, especially given that the, the teams play six more times come the, uh, before the end of the year, um, there's a three game set in Minnesota right at the end of August. Um, and then one later on in the year, um, forget when that was in September or oh, right after. So it's they. They go to Minnesota, uh, they go to, and then they come home, play Tampa Bay, and then play Minnesota again. So it's a uh, one of those quick turnarounds that they do. But after that, they're done with Minnesota. And, you know, like you said, obviously the, the division is still up there uh, up for grabs. And, and with these, this complement of, of games that they have, it's possible that it's, it's, it's not out of it. Um, we were looking at the schedules remaining Cleveland in August. They finish up the series with the Blue Jays and then um, they head to Tampa Bay, they head to Cincinnati. They then have the Dodgers at home and uh, the Tigers at home and then the Dodgers at home. So there, it, there's still some, some rough ones in, in August. I think uh, if you don't have a, um, postseason birth by august by the end of august you're you're if you're five games back that's pretty much it so that's for me that uh, that's where i'm at uh what what other goals do you have for this uh team ethan i definitely agree with you about the if they're still five games back in that neighborhood at the end of the month then it, it's time to start getting the cups of coffee in and working in some of the guys that yeah. haven't had their chances yet but that plays into my next two points which my next goal and this one should be happening now is that you need as many guys getting reps who haven't had an opportunity yet, who might be in the fold for 2024 up and on this roster contributing, right? That means you should have called up Micah Preeze, an actual first baseman slash right fielder instead of signing Cole Calhoun. I understand wanting veteran leadership in the clubhouse after you deal a guy like Aaron Savale. Calhoun has been around a lot, uh, especially in that Angels ball club. Lord knows that they suffer a collapse every other week. So there's some merit to it from uh, trying to hold the, the glue together kind of thing, but I don't really think adding a 35-year-old that's played less than 15 games of first base to play almost every other day first base. Wait, ball club helps. Cole Calhoun is 35? Yes. I am I am aged. Cole Calhoun is 35 years old. I don't I didn't need that information in my life. Thank you for providing it, but 
Yeah, he seriously skewed the average age of this ball club, considering everybody yeah. else is like 24 and younger. But right. you, you need to give the opportunities to a guy like Micah Preeze, who's not even on the 40-man yet, but should have been. Uh, it's time to see what George Valera has got. It's time to do whatever you can in the alignment to get Arias and Rokio every day at bats, whether that's putting... Arias at first base or right field or DHing or something, but Rokio should be playing every day as a switch hitter. He's something that could help you. It's part of, and this will lead into my next goal, of just overall top-to-bottom organizational failure. And that sounds harsh off the bat, but my, my next goal, and if this is something that hasn't started now it it needs to start before the season is out. This is something that needs to be evaluated right now. And pardon me while I turn this into the Grievance Room podcast for the next couple of minutes, but this club needs to do a complete and total internal developmental evaluation from the front office down to every developmental coach in the minor leagues. From a pitching dev standpoint, the Cleveland Guardians are a top five organization in all of baseball. Nobody really debates that fact. You can argue where you want to put them, one, two, three, four, or five, but on a national landscape that is pretty much widely accepted as fact. It's carried Cleveland for years. They produce Cy Young winners and uh, broken pieces that get returns better than they should, like nobody's business, right? CeCe Spathia, Corey Kluber, Cliff Lee all these names and you're seeing the next crop of it right now with Gavin Williams, Logan Allen, Tanner Bybee. They're absolutely incredible. I can only imagine what this rotation would be like if Tristan McKenzie was healthy all year. From the other side of the ball, this organization needs to look at everyone starting with Antonetti and Chernoff to Terry Francona, Mike Sarbaugh, Valaika, and everybody below them working in the system and ask themselves, why can they not develop a bat to save their lives? It's it, nice. It's nice yeah. to have this idea that contact is good, right? That's a skill I'm fine with prioritizing, but they get guys whose only two tools are contact and glove. They never find power speeds occasionally mixed in there, but it's, it's like they're shooting low and calling it a success when they get there. You have pieces like Quan, who's a really great leadoff hitter. I love him in left field. But outside of him, who have you really developed in the last seven, eight, nine years that's still here helping your team? Jose Ramirez? Francisco Lindor is gone. Everybody else comes up and either looks like they don't belong at the major league level or they're probably best served as bench guys or rotation guys that we're playing every day out of necessity. This organization needs to ask themselves twofold. Why can they not develop a bat internally? And why does every free agent that they sign come here and horrendously underperform? Was it truly as simple as just needing to move Ahmed Rosario out of the two hole into second base and only throw him out there against lefties? The numbers said that was the case and the Dodgers are doing that. He looks like a world beater. All of the underlying metrics said that Josh Bell was gonna break out of his slump at any given second. And the day he dons a Miami Marlins uniform, he does exactly that. So why couldn't that have happened in Cleveland? What are they doing here specifically 
Is it the coaching? Is it down to the drills and equipment that they're trying to teach? Who is doing their video review? What is this organization doing that is ruining guys? Think about when was the last free agent that Cleveland signed that you would consider successful off the top of your head? Ooh. Is that your tip? Is that your buzz? That was my air conditioner kicking on, yes. Okay, cool. Uh, I it, it hit so perfectly that I really thought you had like a buzzer that I didn't have an answer for. And that was, I was like, that was just well-timed. Would have been um, better if I did. But no, the, the question no. remains the same. Yeah. Uh... And specifically, I mean, with a bat. They've signed some right. weapon arms that have been fine. But specifically, right. when was the last time they signed a hitter that you would consider a success? Honestly, I would... I have a hard time always remembering who came via what. So I'd have to take a look at the transactional chart. That's but, fair. I mean, like, even then, to your point that you made in the middle of that, which is which was amazing, by the way, and I'll let you just let you cook. Um, yeah, they eat, it, it's so bizarre that players come to Cleveland and then immediately just, like, shrivel up. I don't, it's, it's not that it's, it's not that it's cold here, like in the summer. It's 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 hot enough. Um, Eddie Rosario yeah. was one of the worst players I've ever seen in a Cleveland uniform, and won an a D, an NLDS MVP that right. same season. Right. You could argue that maybe the one really good year in seventeen with Edwin was probably their best signing, but he was yeah. gone to bring back Carlos Santana the next season, even though you signed him to a three year deal. Right. The last one that I would consider truly successful for what you paid them and what you got out of them was 2016 Mike Napoli. Yes. Yeah, that's for sure. But he hit 234 and struck out 38% of the time, but you cranked 34 homers out of him in that time frame, and he helped carry you to a World Series appearance. Right. He did, so, be, he did become a Tito Albatross that he was never... It was it was it was being shown that later on in the year though he was just not not the guy that he was at the beginning. Yes, and he had quote unquote earned his spot by the time the playoffs came around, despite the fact that there were probably better ideas on the on the uh, on the bench for him. Yeah. But. So to wrap it all up in a bow, priority number one for me, and this needs to have started at the trade deadline. It sort of sounds like it did with Antonetti and Chernoff taking accountability for a terrible offseason and having to sit down one-on-one -on -one with every player in that locker room and say, like, hey, we're going to be better in 2024. Words are fine. That's great. But you need to have priority number one is identifying why you cannot develop a bat beyond basic weak contact and why your free agents are horrendous when they come here. That is what sets this ball club apart I do absolutely believe that they're a top five organization when it comes to developing pitching, but from the ground up, every other aspect, it I, I'd have to put them in the bottom third of baseball when it comes to their selection and success with free agents and how they develop hitters. Yeah. Yeah. It's not it. And it a hundred percent is we've talked about um, how you, you go, it's easier to, in theory, it's easier to teach somebody how to hit the ball hard than it is to teach somebody how to hit the ball. So once you're making contact, you can add that, you know, launch angle. You can add the exit velocity to it, things like that. But it that is just it. We are seeing that that is not happening for Cleveland. 
Right. And, and it's, they are, yeah. It's reached the point among the fans where the running joke now is when guys go off and succeed, it's, well, they hit the ball too hard or they strike out too little for this club or that kind of thing. You know, I'm watching it right now. Everybody's losing their minds. Junior Caminero is a top 15 prospect in all of baseball. We dumped him because right. we didn't want to add him to the 40-man roster and traded him away for Tobias Myers, a guy who made three appearances with Cleveland and is now, I'm not even sure if he's in baseball. Did he actually make I, – I only know that he's in AA because uh, Zach Meisel had a piece detailing every trade that's happened over the last five years. Uh, I don't. I think he mentioned that My, uh, Myers never actually pitched for the big club. I thought he reached the majors. I thought he had one appearance. I don't I double I, check right now. But uh yeah. Um even even so, like you said, uh, the the trades and moves that have been made um do kind of make you shake your head and and the Ahmed the Ahmed deal and um cutting Zanino those are moves that like like you said, it takes accountability to do, and that's great. Um, but there is an, an instance where, you know, why are we, why are we still starting Ahmed every day at second in a lineup? Why right. did it take till Z- till June to get Zanino out of there? And I've already and, seen it know. in our second day with Ramon Laureano, right? Like everybody can look at his numbers and be like, yeah, this guy mashes lefties, and what, what's he do yesterday? RBI double one nothing game he drives in the long run off a lefty he's horrendous hitting 180 with a wrc plus in the 70s range against righties and what's happening today he started against a very good righty in kevin gossman right and i don't need to tell you that if i look at his stat line right now he is shocker he's 0 for 3 with a strikeout yep starting in center field too he is in center field yes um, yeah, I, I'd, there have definitely been some weird, weird moves and weird, weird things that are happening with the club. And, and that's to say, Zanino, Zanino was a decent idea, but we we all know that the move should have been Sean Murphy. Um, Bell was a decent idea. We all know the move should have been Matt Olson when that happened, when before that happened. And there are things that we, you know, keep seeing them. It's the they're 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 Danny Anging it, and they are, you know, oh well, we were interested in them at this, you know, we almost had a deal at the deadline. We almost had this deal happen, and when we. When we get to the winner, we'll hear from Zach Meisel that there was almost a trade for this guy that yeah, happened. Should have you know what uh you know what matters is what you do next, right? I don't want to hear that you were a thirty-five dollar disagreement with Uncle Steve away from acquiring Justin Verlander. I want to hear what your plan is now and how you plan to compete in twenty twenty-four. Right, right. So, um, yeah, I, I do agree with you that the the develop the the hitting development is. Uh, is just rough because you have guys also it's not even just hitting development. They, they seem to be really, really tight on calling guys up. 
and, and for whatever reason, Bo Naylor one, we are we can definitely argue should have started the should have started the year with the club. Everything you, everything you ever heard about Bo Naylor not being able to handle a major league pitching staff was a lie to keep him down in the minors longer. Right. And we've seen um, it firsthand. He's an excellent game caller. Yes. Um, but it, even if it wasn't going to be opening day, it definitely shouldn't have been June. Um, even George Valera, you're looking at, you know, he hasn't been doing much in AAA, but when it... Brian Rocchio, how long, how, why did he, why did it take having to move, having to take the Ahmed toy away from Tito to get a Rocchio call up that wasn't more than a weekend injury replace, injury break instead of breaking case of emergency glass uh, situation? Um, they, they have these stunted failure to launch moments where they, keep these guys in AAA for way longer than they should have. Owen Miller last year, what was he, what one was it last year when he was hitting 400 and they just like, let him sit and let him sit and let him sit. And then when they did call him up, he was cold and he came up to Cleveland and he was cold. Well, it didn't help that they weren't giving him regular playing time either. Much like the same has happened with Arias who, has been up with the club for most of this year, but there was a two month stretch where the man didn't get a start. He was a right. pinch hitter or a pinch runner late in games where he didn't belong coming in after a week off. Yeah, it was a, it was a month, but yes, there was a, it felt it, like much longer. It felt like much longer when I, I had to track down when his last start was, and it was at least like three weeks before yeah. he actually got a start again. You and I had talked about this. It was 20 something yeah. days, and we were like, yeah. why? What What did he do? Why is nobody I, talking about him? I was making jokes in Discord that he was just murdered, and they couldn't, they hadn't tracked him down. They hadn't tracked down the murderer, and they couldn't make a roster move because then his family would know. It was literally the, and it, like, it wasn't unfeasible. Like, that was where we were at with the situation because he wasn't even, wasn't even pinch running. Like, he wasn't even coming in too often. It was, I thought it was, was. I thought it was, was weekend starts. at Bernie's. Right, they just got Gabe in there, just hanging out, man. I don't know. We were doing but, weekend at Tito's. Sandy Alomar's just in the dugout with some strings behind him. We won't. Yeah. We, we weren't any the wiser. Yeah. So it, the the playing time with guys is just is just weird sometimes, and you know, and it goes to this Cole Calhoun mess as I'm looking at his name on the lineup sheet and it's just you know where what are we what are we doing here with cole calhoun that mike caprice couldn't do what are we doing here with you know loriano at least has something in the tank and has control for the next couple of years and your outfielders there's nothing else besides valera right now in the upper minors so yeah i don't know i'm still big on loriano at least from the standpoint that i think almost anybody would benefit just from getting out of oakland Sure. It's only been two games. I still prefer to see him start almost exclusively against lefties, but, you know, to be determined with some time down the road here yet. And I, I do want to tack on to all of this with all of these complaints. I've seen way too much of this. No, the answer is not to fire Terry Francona. You do not fire your Hall of Fame manager for this season. As this philosophy shift really started reaching the majors the last two years with Stephen Kwan and, and the rest of this youth movement, the front office and Terry Francona swore that they were aligned. 
this has not continued to go on and the front office has not intervened because this is also part of their plan, right? Whether it's to ignore analytics or if it's just Tito's guys being Tito's guys. You still don't it's, fire it's Terry. Tito's, it's Tito's boys with Sorry. two Z's, by the way. Tito's Sorry. boys. You still don't fire Terry Francona for this, right? You take away his toys. Yeah. You've taken away Ahmed Rosario. You take away Miles Straw. And then you give him a fresh set of new toys that he needs to figure out how to use, which means listening to the analytics guys. But Francona still has it. I don't want to hear get rid of the Hall of Fame manager who just got his 900th win in the uniform, the winningest manager in your club's history. I don't care if you don't think that he can't connect to the youth. I think that's a crock. You have Jose Ramirez, who is the ultimate locker room guy. You saw it in his apology and his explanation for why he went after Tim Anderson. That helps. You have a lot of young guys who are just eager to have a shot, and Terry can work with that. You still stick with the Hall of Fame manager. He is not Tony La Russa. Yeah. yeah this isn't a careening... This isn't a car careening down, you know, a, a ravine right now. It's there is still plenty of time to pull this back together and, and get your hands on the wheel. Um, you know, Larusa's Yeah. Terry was dealt a crap hand. Do I think he could have done better in a lot of situations? Yes, I absolutely do. But I also don't think it makes that much of a difference over the course of the season when everybody has serially underperformed. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Anyhow, thanks for tuning into the grievance room. I changed the thing on it too. I didn't. I, I noticed that. that. I was. You were in the middle of it, and I was like half trying to be a, a jerk and disrupting you. But you know, uh, that's where it was. Um. So the only other goal that I had, getting back to where we were, um, that I had that I haven't mentioned, I want to be able to preserve the young arms on the, um, on the uh, rotation wise. Um, I think that you, I don't know what the hard caps are on the trio that are up right now. Um, feasibly, you have Cal Quantrill coming back soon. He had a rehab start tonight in Columbus. Um, you have Xavier Curry, who's been pitching mostly out of the bullpen all year and is now starting to get stretched out again. Uh, you have Cody Morris, who can come up and pitch a couple of innings. Um you have Hunter Gaddis who can give you starts just to get through. Um, but yeah, I, there, there are options here that can help you keep those innings from being uh, really rough with Bybee and Williams and Allen. Um, if you, if you are out of the running, um, I think you can do some of that. If you are still going for it in September, um, you know, Cody Morris is still as feels like he's a decent pitcher. Um, I, I, I am loath to say that he's not at this point, but you know, he's um, more of a myth at this point. He really is like the man, the myth, the legend right now, Cody Morris. But I will say to your point about the uh, innings caps on the starters, I forget where I saw it. It may have even been just Andre not replying to random comments on Twitter. Um, But I do believe I read recently from somebody associated with the team 
that they feel like the innings cap won't become an issue, that all of the guys are in a proper spot to finish out the year without having to be shut down. Got now, you. what that means if they expect to make the playoffs, I do not know. But at least for the regular season, it sounds like the club expects everybody to pitch through game 162. I'm here for it. I want it to happen because I want them to be, you know, to. It's one of those moments. Uh, I forget who it was. But there was a guy that like stood at the. In the end zone. I think it was Jalen Hurts, actually that stood in the end zone and watched the chiefs like celebrate the super bowl. And it just like, he just stood there and watched all of it and, and all the celebration and just had that like fire moment in him. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It just, uh, I'd like to see those. I'd like to see the guys get that playoff push. And if not get the actual like push, then get the feeling of, Hey, this is, we're, we're coming next, you know what I mean? And, and working out those kinks. I think they have. It seems as though um, Bybee especially and, and Williams, uh, maybe even more, have turned a little bit of a quarter with what is coming up for them. So um, with that, we can move to our, our next area here. Rookie performances. Um, I have uh, in order Bybee, Gavin, Logan, uh, is there anybody else you want to look at as a rookie this year that uh, has been dealing? So I've got – I have all three of those guys <laughs> in my A++ tier. I, I went through and gave them old school grades. Ooh. Um, so I have those guys in my A++. They are top tier, exceeding expectations. All three guys are in the top 15 in rookie pitcher F war. Um and that includes Gavin, who's been up the least amount of time. Bybee should be and is starting to creep into the Rookie of the Year conversation, deservedly so. Um, I, I have to go right below them. My next highest grade that I handed out was an A-, and it belongs to Bo Naylor. Yeah. You, can, you can talk about the bat. His surface numbers aren't pretty, but I'm not worried about a guy suffering from a two thirty four batting average on balls in play right now. His luck has been horrendous since joining the big club. But what he has done managing these pitchers that he worked with in the minors that came up with him and what he's done to improve the defensive position of catcher in this ball club since his call-up is phenomenal and cannot be understated. It's, it's not showing up on stat sheets. It's not showing up at the plate right now. But Bo Naylor is a guy. And when he steps into spring training next season, when he is catcher number one, it's, it's going to be a fantastic season. He's he's definitely. I think it's. I think it's. Dude is the highest level that we've established. It's when 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 you're a dude, you're like Jose is a dude. I think Bo Naylor, Josh Naylor, have the are in are possibly in the dude territories. There are just a guy, it's a Jags. So I want to you know, but uh, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you that Bo's a, a dude right now on this roster, um, with his. With his defensive capabilities, like you said, with his being able to handle a staff, there is obviously now there's no pitcher that hasn't worked with him. But going into the year, Shane Bieber was the only one that had not worked with him. Well, not going into the year. By the time he got called up, he was Shane Bieber was the only pitcher in the starting rotation that had not 
caught did not uh, been caught by Bo Naylor. Yeah. Meaning he had worked with everybody else, Savale, Tristan, um, everybody else on rehab assignments. Um, obviously the trio coming up, the trio that are uh, here now, he worked with them in the, in the minors all the way through, um, worked with Cal in the off season as they got ready for the uh, world baseball classic. So um, like you said earlier, the idea that he was not ready for prime time, uh, handling a staff and defensively was just misguided. Um, and that's that sucks. That really sucks. Yeah. And that's part of the organization needing to reflect internally and figure that out. But I mean, since MLB TV partnered with minor league baseball this year and made all affiliate games free, anybody that sat down to watch a Clippers game with Bo handling early season wild Gavin Williams knew immediately that that guy was ready to handle a major league pitching staff. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Uh, okay, so moving on to let's go to the pitchers since we skimmed over them. Um, let's start with Tanner Bybee. Um, you said he, where is he at with the F4? I forgot where that was. He's sitting at a flat two, and I believe he's third among rookie pitchers. He yes, is right behind, behind Hunter Brown and. Cody uh, Senga. Cody Senga of the Mets, yes. Yeah. So second in the AL pitcher wise. Yes. Um, yeah. A, a, the strikeout numbers are not um, what you might have thought seeing his numbers in the minors. Um, he's, he's just a, a couple ticks below a K per inning, which is still like good. It's not. 11 like he had at triple a all, all this year but um you know he's he's as much the stopper now um you know the ace of the staff at this point do you agree with that as it currently stands yes while gavin is still learning yes i will I, say as as currently constructed obviously if 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 healthy you know, Tristan probably has that more than Bieber at this point, but yeah, of the guys that are healthy, Gavin has the highest ceiling, but I think the furthest to go in terms of development because he's had so few starts compared to Tanner Bybee and Logan Allen. Bybee was the most, how can I describe this? Like out of the package, like ready to go guy. I mean, he reached the majors. Plug and play. Yeah, pretty much. He reached the majors and only 30 starts in the minors. Think about that for a second. This really shows how much Cleveland values that college experience and how quickly you can move up through the minors if you have something that this club thinks that they can work with. And this is why the dev is so fantastic. 
So yes, currently Bybee is the ace of this staff, and he's really rounding into form. You mentioned that the the K per nine is sitting just below nine, and it's not really what his minor league numbers are. But I'd argue that that comes with also learning as you know a twenty four year old in your major league debut season. But if you look at the rest of his numbers, uh, he's still stranding 81, 82% of his runners. That's about on par with what he did in AAA. The home runs are up mostly because he didn't give up one in AAA this year. The peripherals are respectable. He's got a 2.92 ERA, the expected's a 3.62, the, the FIPS a 3.74, the expected's a little bit higher at 4.3. But he just does such a good job. And as the staff has worked with him more and more, and he's, he's gotten more and more comfortable, he's really defined that delivery. And most recently there was a pitching ninja gif of his that I was absolutely slobbering over in his start last night of his big hammer 12, six curve in his fastball where yes. halfway to the plate, those two are both at the letters and then the curveball vanishes. Just and that's going to the face of the planet. Yeah. Yes. And that's how that's going to go for Tanner Bybee. But there's also, and I'm still waiting on more stack ass data to come in on. I'm not unconvinced. He hasn't added a sweeper. I talked a lot about it in my season preview with him and in his early starts that his slider is a lot more North South than East West. It didn't have a lot of gyro to it. It was a pretty like downward breaking pitch. But in his last couple of starts, he's really added something that is breaking away massively to glove glove side. And it's at a different velocity range than this slider is. So it's possible he's even added another pitch that's making him even more of a weapon, which is adding to his success. And it's going to raise the swing and miss having that type of pitch in his arsenal. Yeah. For sure. I have always, I I mentioned before, I think I was wondering if, he just like he had the pitch and just it was named something differently, you know. Maybe uh, not the not the sweeper or something like that, but uh, something along those lines where it was just like because I do you you went into a breakdown and showed where what it looked like and yeah it it, it seemed a little a little weird but you know um, if he's able to adjust like that on the fly in a rookie season like that's some pretty. Uh, gnarly development there and, and just mental toughness. Um, but uh, going back to my, my point of being the uh, stopper ace of the staff right now, um, his last nine starts, he's six and out. Um, and those ones that he uh, didn't get any kind of record on, um, he went to the fifth, the sixth and uh, the fifth again. But um he only allowed two runs in Houston, which was a big, which was you know obviously a, a big game. Texas the same here, two runs in Texas, um, and then the the Kansas City game. He that was more so a um, a team in the division just having a, a little bit more of a book on him, I would think. Uh, but yeah, those are the only games that he has not gotten a win in um, out of his last nine starts. And, and like I said, Houston's. Houston's going for it, and Texas is, is right up there with some of the the best clubs in the in the league, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's just great to see his development, not only you know leading into the season, but as a major leaguer. If he's if he's adding pitches midstream, that's you know showing that he has a, a feel for the game that's almost unmatched. 
another guy that is uh, doing well and seeming to come into his own. Um, the uh, the one and only. Uh, are we calling him Gavin Gunslinger? I don't. What do we call him? I got to be honest. I, I know. I know the wizard calls him Big Country. I'm not here for Big Country. No. Gunslinger's okay. I just want to call him the Menace or something. After the Outlaw. The Outlaw's a good one. I do like the, the outlaw. outlaw. The Outlaw Gavin Williams. Yeah, that's outlaw got a Gavin ring Williams. to it. That does. It has it's because Williams is one of those like old timey names that's been around since like the eighteen hundreds that like, it has it's it's weird how similar it sounds to Josie Wales when you say the full name. Outlaw Josie Wales, the Outlaw Gavin Williams. I think it's just because yeah. it ends in the S, but Yeah. I'm here for it. The Outlaw. Anyway, twelve strikeouts in his last start uh yesterday against or two days ago against uh the the uh the jays seven innings first time he went past oh second time he went to seven innings um gave up only one hit one walk on the day uh he is like you said becoming a menace truly um his babbitt in that start 111 um anything that was hit just didn't seem to be hard and being able to carve up a lineup like the Jays, um, that's a real, that's a real performance from a rookie. Yeah, that 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 Blue Jays offense is <coughs> is pretty good, all things considered. Uh, I think they're seventh in the American League by WRC plus. So it, it was no small feat, and he he faced the full onslaught of guys. But I mean, he made name brands look silly out there. George Springer swung at a slider that made him look like Javier Baez. Gavin Williams has incredible stuff. And there were concerns <laughs> early on about the velocities down, the commands a little bit weird. It definitely seems like the org had him working on something mechanical. And now that he's adjusted to it and the velocity's back and he's comfortable with this change, I, I, I tweeted out, watching after Bybee's start yesterday, actually, that the core rotation of Tristan McKenzie, Gavin Williams, Tanner Bybee, and Logan Allen could put up numbers that would make the 2016 to 2018 Indians rotations that had four guys striking out 200 batters look like clowns. Yeah. At, at their peak, right? Like, obviously, that means these guys stay healthy and they all reach their potential. Anything can happen. But they have the potential to put those rotations, the Corey Kluber, Carlos Carrasco, Trevor Bauer, Mike Clevenger, those guys to shame because they could be just that good. But I, I said earlier, Gavin has the farthest to go because he's had the fewest starts of any of the guys that have made it up to the bigs this year. After his start on Monday, I don't think we're going to have to wait nearly as long as I originally thought we were to see what Gavin Williams truly could be. Yeah. And, and as you watch Gavin Williams, um, one thing that he uh, has been working on, let me check his uh, actual season set. He hasn't been the, the home run to fly ball has actually been fairly good in the majors. Um, 7.5 as opposed to uh, this year in, in, uh, Triple A, sixteen point two. Power pitchers like Gavin have a tendency to get hit hard 
and far if they get hit at all. And um, to be able to keep that home run to fly ball number down for him is important. And, and that's, that's pitching more to contact. That's getting, you know, softer contact off of, uh, off the bat. If he's, you know, doing that, obviously he has the big swing and miss velocity, but if he's, if he's able to mix and match those two, this, his ceiling is probably the best out of the three. Yeah. If it's not, if it's not going to be anymore because I'm, I'm terrified of what's going to become of a Spino when he comes back, but it was a Spino beforehand. Now it's Gavin. Yeah. And, and he was just the next in line, the opportunity knocked. I, I think what's most impressive about both of these guys, Gavin and Bybee is that their numbers haven't even dropped off from AAA to the majors. They're almost the same across the board for both guys with some improvement in both areas. Like Gavin's pitched just as much in the majors as he has the minors now after Monday night. Mm-hmm. He's stranding the same amount of guys, about 80%. He's walking the same amount of guys. You know, you'd love to see that number come down, but that comes with experience and everything else. The only thing down for Gavin is the strikeouts just a little bit, and that just comes with being a rookie pitcher. But I mean, everything for him is phenomenal. The home runs are down. He's pitched a few extra innings in the same amount of starts. Um, yeah, 21 walks and 46 innings in the minor leagues. He's got 22 and 49 in the majors. And the only difference is 61 strikeouts in the minors and 49 in the majors. But everything else is about the same across the board. And that speaks volumes about this pitching depth. These guys come up and they're ready. Right. Uh, going by the ceiling of this trio, the one that probably has the, the lowest, but... Um, low ceiling, but still a really good pitcher uh, pitched today. Logan Allen. Um, he did take the loss. They did lose today as we, the game finalized here shortly or uh, a little bit ago, uh, went five innings, uh, 21 batters faced, uh, only give up four hits. And the only run was off of a George Springer home run in the first inning. Um, walks are still a thing for, Logan Allen more than um, more than you would think from someone who seems to be such a control pitcher. Um, but even then, not too far out of bounds when you look when you consider, you know, a walk per nine, three point three four. Bybee's is three point one, and Gavin Williams is three point nine nine. So the three point four four or three point three four for Allen isn't too far off from those guys and should go down as he gets more used to pitching in the, in the bigs. Um, he had a 3.98 in his 20 innings in triple a this year. Uh, it was even worse in, in 2002 in triple a 4.37. So it, it, if you look at last year's almost full season in triple a, um, you know, it's it's down a whole walk, but uh, yeah, I, I it's hard to say with Logan Allen because the the repertoire is not that of Bybee, it is not that of Gavin Williams. So it you can kind of talk yourself into being down on him because the results are not there, but he's pitching just as good as almost anybody else right now. 
Yeah, it's it's a different style of pitching, right? You, you touch on it. Bybee and Williams, they're they're power pitchers. Logan's a, a control, relies on the breaking stuff kind of guy, right? His whole shtick when he was coming up was he's got this nasty splitter that's going to help him, you know, get a lot of ground balls. Well, he's got a 40% ground ball rate. What's the difference here? Well, he's developed one of the nastiest sweepers in baseball, that's for sure. But the issue being when you don't have that power fastball, that you can't just rear back and throw 95 to 98 by somebody. When you have a 90 to 93 mile an hour four seamer, you tend to nibble because if you leave the ball in the zone, you get hammered. And that's where the walks are coming from. He's relying a lot on needing the swing and miss on that sweeper. And guys with better eyes are taking advantage of that in the majors. They're letting him pitch away. They're letting him miss the zone and they're taking their walks. And that's how you play a pitcher like Logan. You know, that's just how it's going to have to be unless they see something that they can tweak. If they add another pitch that maybe helps him keep the ball down, keep it in the yard because he can't leave the fastball up. It's why he doesn't have a 85% ground ball rate despite throwing a splitter, right? This is a, a, a combination. We watched it for years with Josh Tomlin, right? Self-throwing guy that relies on command and location. If he leaves it in the zone, he gets punished. Yeah. And... That being said, if he's number four, number five in a Cleveland rotation, that's still a really good pitcher and would be maybe a number three or number four in any other roster rotation. So, um, but our time, our time is getting a little short here. Uh, so I want to move on to our last spot. Um, we're quickly approaching September as a, uh, Tech support at a school does not want to hear those words, but it is nonetheless what's happening. Um, and with September in Major League Baseball comes September call-ups. Um, so there are some possible holes, and, and we've talked about, you know, what the team should do with regards to the the, the crusty veterans that are here, Cole Calhouns and, and whatnots. But um, if there are more guys that are coming up, um, we all seem we we've seen pretty good with with a few of these names. Um, just break down why you think some of these names should be up: George Valera, Micah Preez, uh Brian Lavastida, um, and is there a chance that we maybe see Kyle Manzardo the uh, return for Aaron Zavale? So. Starting from the top, I already touched on Micah Preece. He should be <laughs> he should be up now. Cole Calhoun should not be on this roster. Veteran leadership, whatever. You needed a true first baseman, and Preece is the closest thing you have to it. Yes, he's a lefty that doesn't help a lot of your issues right now, but he plays first base and right field. You also need an outfielder. Preece is a guy who's got a nice combination of speed and power, 20 double, 20 homer, 20 steal kind of guy. He did it last year in the in the minors, and he's on his way there in his first year in AAA. He's an older guy, same deal as David Fry, been around a while, was injured, drafted right before COVID, missed his first two would have been seasons before finally getting his pro debut. He absolutely should be up because he actually plays first base, unlike Cole Calhoun, who... Tonight was his sixth career start and 11th total game at first base in his however long career for a 35-year-old. 35-year career. Sure, yeah. Played Born a major leaguer. I don't yeah. know what to tell you. 
Priest just should have been the move, no matter what. Yes. And you can platoon and move the lineup around to work in any way you want to have Priest, Rokio, and Arius in the lineup on the same day, every sure. day. And that's what you need, is the young guys need reps. Valera should get an opportunity this year to taste the majors, not because he's done anything in AAA to earn it, but because once the winter meetings hit this year, he'll be starting his third year on the 40-man roster. Yeah. And he's barely even played in AAA, but at some point you got to throw him to the Wolves and see what he's got. I'm of the opinion that if he is the prospect of pedigree that a lot of people seem to think he is, then he's just going to step up to the challenge and he's going to feast or famine. So you eventually got to find out what you got there. Lavastida, who was designated for assignment just this season, has bounced back. I, I mean, he was injured to hell and back, and this season fully healthy. Started in Double A Akron, has worked his way back up to Columbus. the The defense is fine. He's he's your ideal backup catcher, but he can swing the bat a little bit too. And, and he always showed that potential in the minors, and he's finally showing it again. So you probably don't have to waste money on a veteran backup catcher next year. You can probably roll with Bo and Lavacita and their guys who have worked with this rotation before. Uh, but, you know, if you feel the need for a fourth catcher in September, he's your guy. Or, for you, you know, you know, you, I think you just eventually say, David Fry, you are a utility man, you know, as or, he should be. If he comes back this year, which I hope he does because he's been a good story. Uh, Manzardo is a guy who, if he finishes his rehab and he comes back healthy, I think you're going to see him no matter what at the end of the season. It's a lot more likely you see him if we reach the end of August and Cleveland's still in that four and a half to five and a half game back area where at that point you can probably throw in the towel. If right. the standings don't change, neither team's really going to start playing better baseball, and it's going to coast out to that finish. So there'd be no need to rush Josh Naylor back from this injury if he has a chance of playing before game 162. And Manzardo's probably going to be in contention for a roster spot come next spring anyhow. So if he's healthy, you might as well give him that shot, add him to the 40-man, because he's going to need to be there regardless. Right. So I, I really think that there's a, there's a non-zero chance, but I'm going to say it's less than 5% that you see Manzardo this year for a combination of treating him with kid gloves and getting him ready for 2024. Uh, and then I do actually have a sleeper pick off of the list that you did not mention, uh, and that would be Columbus Clippers outfielder Jonathan Rodriguez, who... This is early. It, it's a new it addition. Early. It, I... It does feel early, but the man is absolutely tearing the cover off the ball in AAA. Yes, he's striking out 40% of the time, but so is Oscar Gonzalez. Uh, he had an incredible double A season, 289, 364, 512 with a 136 WRC plus in 88 games at Akron this year. Really solid numbers. He brought the walk rate up to 9.4%, struck out less than 27% of the time. He's got a 41.5% strikeout rate so far in Columbus, but he's hitting 316, 366, 632 with a 139 WRC+. Jonathan Rodriguez is another guy in a similar vein to Oscar where he just has unnecessary, almost, power. And 
it may manifest more in a 40 double a year kind of guy, but he does have the ability to hit for some pop with a little bit less of the swing and miss and horrendous plate discipline that Oscar has. Oscar's and, catching a lot of strays in this one right now. Oscar is catching a lot of strays, but not undeservedly so. He's not yeah. the same guy across either stint that he was in 2022. Yeah, he's uh, Oscar. God love him. SpongeBob himself. He's. I don't know that you can really take him seriously as a major league piece going forward. So, org depth, whatever you want to call it, but that's that's what Oscar Gonzalez is at this point. Um, if he could just lay off the slider, he'd be the perfect designated hitter. Right, for sure, because he's. Yeah, he. You don't want to give him a glove if you can. You know help it but anyway yeah i like those uh names there um like i had said mentioned before preserving the arms um you've got even peyton battingfield coming back soon you know possible um that's somebody that may want to they may want to have pitch in september to dangle them for somebody else try to get some you know a a longer term prospect for a 40-man spot you know um a la Nolan Jones, Juan Brito kind of a situation there. Um, yeah, Peyton Battingfield, Cody Morris. Um, I think Hunter Gaddis is, is cooked as a major league arm, but uh, maybe even Joey Cantillo. We talked about uh, the idea that he's getting close to a innings cap um, just because he has been so hurt before. Um, he's been around 100 in the minors before, but not much higher than where he would be in, uh, in Cleveland this year. He's had um, 77 innings thus far. Uh, the most he ever got in the minors was um, right around 113. Um, so he's, he's, he's bumping it right now. Um, and he's not on the 40 man, correct? No, he actually is on the 40-man. Is he on the 40-man now? He, he has been all season. He was a Rule 5 eligible pick, uh, so he had to be protected. Gotcha. I don't see Cantillo coming up for the combination of both the innings, and if we are truly expecting Tristan and Shane to potentially come back this year, pitching suddenly gets real crowded. That is also true. I, I, I just have blocked out the fact that they are coming back because why would you try to – throw them into a situation in September where you're not contending, but you know, weirder things have happened and it might be better for them to get a, at least a couple of starts under their belt to prep up for uh winter and things like that. So you just need film on Shane Bieber re- more recent than June. So you can trade him in the winter. Right. For Lars Newborn. Or Heston Kirstead. Yes. Yes, that's a that's a that's a better one probably. Anyway, all right. For Ethan, for myself, for Jose's right hook, I am Joe Gerbs Gerberry signing off for the night. Uh, be safe, be loved. Good night. I'm Bruce Martin, host of Pit Pass Indy. Each week, I go behind the scenes of the NTT IndyCar Series and introduce our listeners to the biggest stars of IndyCar, which features the Indianapolis 500 as its cornerstone event. 
The men and women that compete in IndyCar may be the bravest athletes in all of sport as danger lurks around every corner. They are able to look danger in the eye without flinching. That is why the NTT IndyCar Series features the best racing on the planet. Join me every week as we talk to the stars of IndyCar, including the legends of the Indianapolis 500 on Pit Pass Indy from Evergreen Podcast. <laughs> 